Good morning. This morning we will be going and looking at Ezra's chapters 5 and chapter 6. And that can be found in your pew Bibles if you would like to read along and page 377. I am not going to read all of chapter 5 or all of chapter 6. I am just going to take a couple of verses and put them up on the screen and then I will read those verses right at the beginning of chapter 5. Actually, I'm going to start with the end of chapter 4, then the beginning of chapter 5, and then the end of chapter 6. And then I'll summarize what I skipped. So how's that sound? So we'll start. We're in the sermon series on Renew. And at Ezra chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, verse 23 and 24, ends on kind of a downer note. After six years of building the temple, the work gets shut down. As soon as a copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Rehum and Shimshai, the secretary and their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop, stop building the temple. Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. That's where we start this morning. The work on the temple is stopped. Then, beginning in chapter 5, now Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the prophet, a descendant of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of in the name of God of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Josadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So ten years has gone by between the end of chapter four and this verse right here. So it's a period of 10 years that all of a sudden we just missed whatever happened there. Then we go to the end of chapter 6 and it says, so the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. They finished building the temple according to the command of God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. So that's basically four years later. So time frame I just read is 16 years back, the work on the temple stopped. Ten years later, the work on the temple starts. Four years later, the temple is completed. So If we look over this, the summary of Ezra 5 and 6 goes something like this. Haggai and Zechariah, they prophesy. They tell the people, this is what God has to say to you. The people respond to that by restarting the work on the temple. The opposition that was in chapter 4 goes away. The enemies around the people of Israel... They actually write a letter to the king that actually reflected honestly what was going on instead of a bunch of lies, which they did in chapter 4. 
And the king responded favorably to all of this and said, I want the temple to be built. In fact, I'm going to spend money in my treasury to make sure that it's built. Let's just make sure that it goes. It's totally opposite of of chapter 4. The temple is completed. Renewal happens. Praise God. End of sermon. End of sermon series. We don't even need it. Let's pray. Wait a minute. What's going on here? I know for those of you who are rabid baseball fans and sleep-deprived, a two-minute servant is probably just about what you need right now. <laughs> Staying up till midnight, 3.30 in the morning to watch the Red Sox and the Dodgers play. Maybe you're smelling all of the chili and you want some of that right now. What is going on here? This is way too easy. What happened? Chapter 4 is all about all of the obstacles. The temple cannot be built. The enemies of God are against it. The people around the people of Israel are against it. The king is definitely against it. Chapter 5 starts, everything is suddenly sunny. The temple, they restart it. God speaks. The king becomes a friend of the temple. The people around aren't aren't opposed anymore. What? is going on here. And it just, it's like something happened, but nothing is explained. And in the Old Testament, a lot of times that's exactly what goes on. The person who's writing about it just sort of -of matter-of-factly says, okay, 10 years later, everything's good. Four years after that, temple's built. Let's move on. What actually happened here? And who are these people, Haggai and Zechariah? But in this particular situation, we actually have a little bit of clue as to what actually went on. Because we have two little books tucked in at the end of the Old Testament, which most of you have never read or gone to or whatever, but we're going to go to those little books this morning. They come in a set of books which are called the Minor Prophets in the Old Testament, and they are minor because they only wrote for Haggai, two chapters, and for Zechariah, 12 or 13 chapters. Instead of the major prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, who wrote like 60 chapters, the minor prophets wrote smaller books. And that's why they're called minor, not because of what they said or whether they said something that was minor. They actually say some pretty important things. And we want to go and look at those passages this morning as we figure out what is going on here. But before we do that, let's just bow in a word of prayer. Father God, I'd ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would teach us from your word, and that your spirit would help illuminate to our hearts the truths, the things that we need in our lives so that we can be children of yours that are pleasing to you in all the things that we do and say and think. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So a number of years ago, when our children were little, our family was driving up to New New Hampshire on vacation or heading up to go on vacation. As we were heading, we were in New Hampshire, just a little bit north of Rochester, New Hampshire, and there's this big hill up there. As I'm climbing the hill in the car, all of a sudden it starts to lurch. The engine kind of hiccups 
and you know you're going about 55, 60 miles an hour, and it just kind of goes forward and back, and then forward and back, and then forward and back, and then it just stalled out completely. And we had to turn over to the side of the road, and now we're like, what do we do now? We're on our way to vacation. We're halfway there. We're on the side of the road. The car has just stalled out. Well, it turns out that we had filled up the car with bad gas, and there was stuff in the gas, and the stuff that was in the gas got into the fuel filters that clogged those up, and there en- really wasn't anything wrong with the engine. It's just the engine couldn't get any gas, and that's the reason why we stalled out. We stalled out there on the road, even though we had such high hopes to get to the vacation and start our vacation, our vacation started with one big stalled car. And that's what's going on here this morning. The work of building the temple, of restoring God's glory to Israel has been moving along. And then all of a sudden, even though God had moved in the heart of a pagan king to get it started, all of a sudden it stalled on the side of the road. This great thing, this great anticipation, this, this building that we were building was stalled to a standstill on the side of the road. And for 10 years, it remained stalled. And it looked like this. Thus, the work of the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And that's 10 years. It looked like this. Now think about it. Now this isn't a picture of the temple. There were no photographs back then and it actually got built and that kind of thing. But this is a ruined basic picture of something. So imagine for the people who were walking by this every single day, For ten long years, this is where the temple is. The reason why we came here in the first place, it is just completely stalled by the side of the road. But maybe that isn't the right image that we should use for the temple being stalled. Because my car was stalled, but we just towed it to a gas station. They replaced the fuel filters. We got back on the road and got going again. It took the afternoon, but it didn't take 10 years to fix my car. Sometimes it feels like that, but it didn't. Maybe the image is more like the pier in Magnolia. The pier in Magnolia suffered a lot of damage, and Bob's laughing up there. The pier in Magnolia suffered a lot of damage this past year with the nor'easters that came through, the waves smash it. That's nothing unusual. It smashes it probably every other year. The difference is, is this year, the state engineer condemned it after it was smashed. And so for this summer, the pier in Magnolia has been in disrepair, something like this. There is no money to fix the pier in Magnolia. And so we who cherish it as an icon of Magnolia We go by it every day and we say, oh, I wish it could be like what it was before. But even that probably doesn't quite hit the magnitude of this. 
because we're raising money to fix the pier in Magnolia, and the plan is, is that it will be fixed within a year or two. A year or two is longer than an afternoon. But think about 10 years, 10 long years of actually walking by this thing that we started, but the king has stopped, and there is seemingly no hope that it will be restarted. It's just stalled. It's at a standstill. Ten years of rubble. When we look at where the people are in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, the people of Israel, they say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. After 10 years, this is still what they're saying. We can't build the house. We can't work on the temple. The king says that we can't. The people around us say that we can't. Even though God wants us to, we can't do it. Basically what it comes down to is it's been 10 long years. It's been so long that you just aren't going to do it. You don't trust that the God who could move a pagan king could move the people around and the new pagan king that's out there to allow the house to be built again. But it goes beyond that. God says, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, remains a ruin? So not only after 10 years you've given up, for 10 years you've been working on your own properties. You've been working on your own houses, your farms, your vineyards, and you are making money. You are prospering in the land. And God is saying to them, you're not willing to work on my house. You only want to work on your own homes. The work on the temple is stalled out. When revival is stalled, how does it get back on track? And that's really what we're going to focus on this morning. When revival, the building in this case, the building of the temple is stalled out, how do we get it back on track? There's no energy, enthusiasm, excitement to build the temple now. It's been 10 years. It's ruined. We're just going to be that way. Well, in Haggai, renewal happens when God stirs his people. God stirring his people is something that has been a theme throughout the book of Ezra. And in fact, I googled God stirs. And it's funny, what came up was a whole bunch of sermons on both Ezra and Haggai. This is the theme of what's going on here. God stirs and something happens. And what we've been saying week after week after week is revival happens when God gets behind it. It's God that does it, not we do it ourselves. So the solution to building the temple isn't to just get up enough guts and say, okay, let's get some more wood, let's get some more mortar, let's get some more stone, and let's start building it. 
Revival happens not because we put in the effort. Revival happens because God gets behind it and moves people and stirs people. That's been the message up till now. But what's so cool is that in this case, it's not so much that I'm giving to you a a new point. What's really cool about this is that revival happens when God stirs his people again. Not that he just stirred them. In chapter 1, he moved Cyrus, the king of Persia. He moved the people. He moved their spirit. He stirred them up. They went from where they were living in Babylon all the way to Israel in order to build this temple. He moved in their hearts. But you know, the God that we worship, the God that we believe in, is not a God who just says, okay, 16 years ago, I stirred you up. I expected results. Where are those results? Well, there are no results, so I give up on you. That's not the God that we worship. The God that we worship stirred them 16 years ago and came back 16 years later and stirred and moved in their hearts again. The God that we worship is a God who keeps coming after us even when we obstinately keep moving in a different way. And that's what happened here. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, and the, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. God stirred Zerubbabel, the spirit of Zerubbabel. God stirred the spirit of Joshua. God stirred the spirit of the whole people. And they responded to that by beginning the work on the temple. God stirred their heart. And he does it again. And he'll do it again and he'll do it again because that's what he does. God moves us. God stirs us. So does God still stir us today? Is that something that God does for us? Is he gets inside of us? Absolutely. God is a God who stirs. And he stirs again and again. But he's a God who stirs us as we seek him, as we study God's word, as we worship him together as we pray, as we are going through life, we can experience God stirring us. But you know what? When he stirs us, he stirs us to do something. He doesn't just stir us and move us to make us feel good. He actually moves us and stirs us to actually accomplish something, which is what they did. They started to work on the temple. So he stirs us to change our lives, to change our thoughts, to change our habits, to seek him, to know him better, to know how deep and wide is his love for us. He stirs us to love one another, even when we're not very lovable. He stirs us to build one another up, to reach out 
to those who are around us with the love and grace of Christ. He stirs us and moves us when we're going in the wrong direction to put us back on the right path. God is a God who moves people. And he is a God who moves people over and over and over because we are obstinate people. A long time ago when I was a youth pastor, we would go on retreats. We still go on retreats with youth. It's a great way to share God's word, to share who God is with people. But you know, the funny thing is what I found is that God stirred people not so much on just what was said in the talks that they would have on the retreat, but the times when God would stir young people the most was actually late at night. Late at night after the lights were out. Late at night when you were supposed to be in bed and you just wanted to stay up with your youth pastor a little bit longer and because he was the youth pastor, you could do it with him. There was something cool about that, I think. But maybe it was the fact that it was something you weren't supposed to do, stay up late. Maybe it's just the fact that teenagers don't slow down until one in the morning. I don't know. But those were the times when I would have the best conversations with high schoolers or people in junior high late at night where they would talk deeply about God and Christ and the Bible. And you know what? Those were the times when God stirred them more than any other time. They were real. They were thinking about who God is. And God would move them, change their lives, and oftentimes tell me later on it was sometime when we talked late at night, that really made so much of a difference in my life. And that's an amazing thing. But God stirs us late at night, early in the morning. There's no particular time. There's no particular place. It could be today in a sermon, or it may not be. But God does move us. God does stir us. And when he stirs us, he stirs us to do things. God stirred the people. But you know what? He also spoke to the people. There was actually a message. There was a spoken word. So renewal happens when God stirs his people again. But renewal happens when we listen to the voice of God and obey. Haggai chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent them. There was a message. There was a voice that was spoken to them was actually spoken to the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah. So what is this message? What was this message from God? First message was this message of return to God and he will return to you. 
This is in Zechariah. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Return to me suggests something here. It suggests that the people of Israel had been wandering away. But you know, if you look in Haggai and you look in Zechariah, it doesn't actually talk about what it is that they were wandering away to do or what it is that they were doing that they shouldn't be doing. The what wasn't really part of this return to me. But you know what? The how was definitely a part of it. How do you return? And how do you go astray? How does a person head away from God? And you know what? Zechariah uses the example of their forefathers. This is how they went astray from God, and this is what you need to avoid. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. Here it is. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. How do you turn astray? How do you head away from God? This is two prime examples. You do it by not listening to God and not paying attention to God. Heading away from God is to no longer listen to him, to no longer pay attention to him, to tune God out, to let other things get in the way, to remove yourself from his people, his teachings, from his church. To head away from God is to focus on yourself and all of your selfish desires. That's how you head away from God. How they were doing it in this particular situation, the Bible doesn't actually tell us. But the Bible does tell us that that's how we would do it. You want to head away from God? Don't listen to him. You want to get further away from God? Hide. Get away from him. You want to move away from God? Don't pay attention to God at all. Stay away from his people. That's the way it happens. Happens over a period of time. And the people heard what Zechariah said, and the people repented. Then the people of Israel, they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he has determined to do. They repented. Repenting means to turn around, to return to God. Instead of hiding, instead of going in the other direction, it is to actually choose to go in the direction towards God. And by going in the direction towards God, it means change of life, change of behavior, change of the way that you are going to live your life. So they repented and they returned to God. And that's something that we need to do is to return to God. But here's the promise that Zechariah gives. If you return to God, what happens after that? Then God will return to you. That's what he says. And so in this passage, if we go back to, ha- go back to Haggai, Return to God and he will return to you. What does it look like when God returns to you? God is with you. 
That's what it looks like when God returns to you. God is with you. Look at these passages. Haggai chapter 1, verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. And then Haggai chapter 2 and 4, he's got, or chapter 2, verse 4, he says the same thing. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, because the Lord declares the Lord and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. God is with you. That's how he returns. If we return to him, he will return to us and he will be with us. But you know, God is always there. It's only we inside that feel like God isn't there. We feel like God, God, you must hate me. God, you, might, you don't understand. Uh, you're so good, I'm so bad. Uh, you just seem far away because of that. But that's not actually true. That's just how we feel. Even though we feel like God is far away from us, God is always there. It's the people who turned away that feel like God is far away. But God is always there, and he is with us. And the language in these passages are unbelievable in terms of God with. So many times God wants to assure the people, I'm with you. Why doesn't he just say it once? Because we need to hear it over and over and over in our lives. God is with us. God is in our lives. We need to hear that. Haggai chapter 1, I am with you, declares the, the Lord. Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, I, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Haggai chapter 2, 5, my spirit remains among you. And Ezra 5, 4, and the prophets of God were with them. God is with us. God is there. Why is it important that God is with us? It's important so that we can be strong and not fear. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted to you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is a message to people who for 10 years are terrified of the enemies that live around them. They have no walls. They have no army to protect them. The people and the king have said, don't work on that temple. Don't you dare work on that temple. That's that's the context of this. There is lots of fear. There is lots of anxiety about doing what God wants them to do. And in our lives, do we fear? What is it that we fear? What are the things that really bother us? And are we willing to trust 
the God who is with us, to trust him to be strong and to actually do what is right. And that's exactly what these people did. God spoke, they listened, and they obeyed. And what did they obey to do? They started to work on the temple. Now, they didn't start to work on the temple after they had written a letter to the king and said, please, is it okay to work on our temple now? It's been 10 years, and it's kind of a wreck, and can we just kind of start working on it? Is that okay? They didn't ask permission. God told them to start working on the temple. They had fears. They had lots of fears. But God said to them, I will be with you. And your strength will come from me. Do not fear. Start working on the temple. And the people did. They listened to God's word and they obeyed. And they started to work on the temple. What happens when we are stirred by God and we return to him and know that he is near? What happened was what happened in chapters 5 and 6. In chapter 4, now issue an order to these men to stop work so that the city will not be rebuilt until I so order. And in chapter 6, the king says, Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to do these elders, do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God, and their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. They're looking for an example of what it is to conquer your fears because God is with you. To be strong because God is with you. That is what chapter 5 and chapter 6 represents. God is with them. Yes, they still feared. Yes, they still worried because they knew about what could happen. It happened in chapter 4. To them, it could happen again. But God said, do not fear. I am with you. Be strong. I am with you. And that example was the example that allowed them to start working on the temple. It was God's strength and God's presence that allowed them to stop or start on the, on the work. And it is God's strength and it's God's presence in our lives that will conquer many of the things that we fear in terms of doing what is right and obeying God. God stirs. Then we return. And God returns to us. And he is with us. It's a pattern in this passage. God stirs in your heart. Then we return. And then we sense that God is with us. But you know, that's not the pattern of Scripture. It could go just the other way. It could be God is with us, because he is. He's just as much with us, even though we don't feel that. Then we return, and then God stirs in our hearts and moves us to change. It can go the other way. We could return, then God stirs, and God was. There's no order to this. It's not order that matters. What matters is that we need all three in our lives. We need to sense the presence of God. 
because it's there whether we feel it or not. We need to return to him and stop hiding and stop going in other directions. And we need to just seek after God and let him stir and move in our hearts so that we can change our lives. And whether one happens first and then the other and the other, it doesn't really matter. We need all three. We need to be stirred, we need to return, and we need God with us. Renewal happens when God stirs his people again because God does it again and again and again. And renewal happens when we listen to the voice of God, the message of God, and because of that message we choose to obey. That's when renewal happens. That's why the temple was built at the end of chapter 6. And that's why we can experience renewal in our church and in our lives. We need to renew the rebuilding of life with God in the book of Ezra. Let's pray. Father God, we are people this morning that love you because you do move us. You do stir our hearts. You change us. But we're people who know how to hide also and head away. I pray this morning, Lord, that we could be people that know how to return to you and experience your presence and your power and your conquering of fear as we renew our lives with you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.